Let's stand together, everybody, and we're going to talk tonight in the fifth week on the names of God. And I've so enjoyed this, and this one tonight is just going to bless you. Um, We're going to talk about the one you probably know better than most of God's names, and that is Jehovah Jireh. Can everybody say it with me? Jehovah Jireh. How many of you need Jehovah Jireh? Amen. All right. Let's look at, uh, let's read together out loud like you're preaching. Genesis 22:14, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Father, bless your word tonight. Open our eyes, and we thank you for building our faith up in our God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God shall provide. This, uh, we're about to head into now the, the eight names that all begin with Jehovah. And let me just talk about Jehovah Jireh a little bit. Um, the name Jehovah Jireh is one of a number of names compounded with the name Jehovah. It's a compi- compound name. Remember, Jehovah is the name for God. And I want you to remember, never forget what we've shared with you on the name Jehovah because you're talking about the God, the only God. So every time we say Jehovah, Jireh, Rofi, Shalom, whatever, remember what comes before it. Jehovah is the name for God that reveals Him as the eternal, self-existent one, the God of revelation, the God of moral and spiritual characteristics, of righteousness, holiness, love, and therefore of redemption. The God who stands in a special covenant relation to Israel. The Almighty God. Now I'm going to read a definition, a little bit lengthy, by a theologian named Adam Clark. But it was so beautiful, so powerful. I wanted you to get this. Because we need to have a bigger understanding, I think, of Almighty God. So Adam Clark wrote these words. That he, Jehovah God, is the eternal, independent and self-existent being. The being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence. He who is absolute in dominion, nobody tells him what to do. The most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect, and eternal self-sufficient, needing nothing that he has made. I'm going to say that again. Needing nothing that he has made. He is completely self-sufficient, the God we worship. He is limitless in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence known fully only by himself because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. In a word, he is a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just and right and kind. So that's why we say God is good all the time. Now, let's talk about compound names for a minute because the next uh, few weeks we're going to be talking about eight of them. What's in a compound name? 
As we're going to see, most of the compound names of God arise out of some historic incident and portray Jehovah in some aspect of his character as meeting human need. The one that we're going to look at tonight was revealed in, an, in, a, in a historic incident with Abraham and God. And God revealed himself as a provider, and it was Abraham who called him Jehovah Jireh. God didn't call himself that. Abraham called him that. When he saw something about God that all of us need to understand. Now, the setting for the revelation of Jehovah Jireh is found in Genesis 22, and I think it's one of the most touching, powerful. Any, any Jewish individual will weep over Genesis 22. Powerful, powerful chapter. It's the story of the last and greatest crisis in the life of Abraham. Abraham had been promised a son. Every event in his life had led up to the supreme hour that witnessed the fulfillment of this promise. For 25 years, Abraham and Sarah waited for a son. 25 years. God made a promise, and then it looked like nothing was happening. Ever experienced that? God makes a promise, and you go, where is it? Or even worse, he makes a promise, and it seems like the opposite happens. He tells you, I'm going to make you rich, and all of a sudden, you don't know where you're going to get your next dime. God promises to Abraham incredible promises. The Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to make you great. You're going to have a child. I'm going to make you a nation. And out of you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And he who blesses you, I will bless. He who curses you, I will curse. And this Sunday, we're going to be praying with thousands of Christians all over the world, probably millions of them, for the land of Israel. We're going, to, we're going to pray for Israel this Sunday. We're going to look towards Israel, and we're going to bless Israel. And we're going to believe God to touch them. Amen. But there he is. He's waiting 25 years for this incredible, this incredible number of promises. None of them can happen without a son. For any of it to be true, there's got to be an offspring. There's got to be a son. So everything hinges on this son and finally, Isaac is born, and what, what do uh, Abraham and Sarah do? They laugh. They can't believe it. He's 100. She's uh, 99. Now, but then, wow, look at this. The, the, the boy grows up, uh, lives several years. I think Isaac was around 12 years old or so when... Look what happened in Genesis 22. Abraham has settled down to live the rest of his life in peace and joyous anticipation of the larger fulfillment of God's promise through the centuries and its final spiritual fulfillment. Through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Then incredibly, Elohim, God, appears to Abraham with the astounding command to offer up as a sacrifice a burnt offering his only and well-beloved son, Isaac. Mind blower. You have got to be kidding me. I'm not hearing God. This is the devil. This can't be. But now look what happened. Uh, Abraham apparently is completely unaware that this is a test. His feelings can uh, scarcely be imagined. If you just use your imagination for a few minutes, try to put yourself in his sandals. 
it's just amazing. His tremendous faith in view of all the circumstances is likely not fully appreciated. I don't think it is. Here's this boy, the joy of your life. You waited 25 years. This is God's fulfilled promise. And God says, sacrifice him. Sacrifice what is dearest and nearest to you. Now, when I read stories like this, and I want you to catch this, I, I hear echoes of the dealings of God in, in, I believe, most of his people's lives. There will always come a time, somewhere, sometime, some way, someplace, that God will say to you, I want you to give that up. Now, he's not a torture master. Don't get me wrong. He blesses. But I believe sometimes God wants to know and wants us to know how important he really is to you and me. And it's tested when you've got to give up something dear or something close to you. It may just be a, your sacred reputation. I mean, it can be one of a million, you know, I think it depends on the individual. But God comes to Abraham and there's far more at play here, and we're going to see this in a minute, than just a little simple test to see how much God meant to him. That was part of it, but only a part of it. The scriptures reveal that not a word of protest or objection on the part of Abraham was expressed toward God. Not a word. He is silent. If Abraham and Sarah had laughed with joyful hope, though likely mingled with a dash of doubt when his son was first promised to him, think about this, how deep his anguish must have been at this stunning request from the God who had been so good to him. How can you give something to me and then take it away? What are you talking about, God? But not a word from this man. i got to tell you, folks, I've known a lot of people of faith. I don't know anybody. I can't think of anybody on this planet who would not argue with God over this one. No wonder he's called the father of our faith. What an incredible man of faith. He just began to get everything together for this sacrifice. He got Isaac. He got all the stuff with which to make a fire. They made the journey. It was about a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. Don't you know he died a thousand deaths every single one of those days? Here's his beloved son walking with him, riding with him, talking to him, not having any idea that God has communicated to his daddy to sacrifice him. Yet the faith that had been sufficient to enable him to believe such a staggering promise in the first place is now sufficient for an even more staggering demand. Staggering. Now, this amazing event reveals three things that I could think of. Abraham's obedience and faith. Isaac's willing submission. Because even when it looked like, uh-oh, there ain't no sacrifice. I'm it. When he laid him down and raised that knife, yet Isaac was submitted. And then Jehovah's provision of a substitute in his place. Now, on the way to the place of sacrifice, Isaac asked a question that would have just been like a dagger in my heart. Think about this. Behold the fire and the wood. Now, I'm going to put something in here. Behold the fire and the wood, Dad. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is it, Dad? What's going on? 
These are normal human beings, just like you and me. Where are we going, Dad? Talk to me. And Abraham just keeps it in. He's communing with God. He's obeying. I believe that he was as human as you and me. He felt this in his heart like a ton of bricks. Um, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Now, Abraham answered, God will provide. Can everybody read this with me? God will provide himself a lamb. Now, it's possible he harbored a dim hope that God would intervene with some other provision, but that hope quickly faded as he laid Isaac on the altar and realized, well, it's 1159.59, and there is no provision. This is it. And the Bible says he raised that knife in the air. Now, by now, Isaac knows. Abraham thinks there is no provision. And this is one of the most dramatic moments in the history of the world, certainly in the history of any Bible story. This is one of the most dramatic moments. Because, I mean, one more second. Look at the timing of God. One more second, and it's over. God intervened in the nick of time, sent an angel, and the angel stayed his hand, said, don't do it. Don't do it. And it was stopped right here. Isaac, just like this. Ah. The angel came and spoke, stayed his hand as it was about to descend. It's at this moment that Abraham looks around, and what does he see? He sees a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, which he then offers up instead of his son. And it is at this point that we first hear the name, say it with me, Jehovah Jireh. Because in Genesis 22:14 we read, read it with me, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, that is Jehovah, it shall be provided. Now I want you to notice something about this verse. Abraham called the name of that place. What did he call the name of that place? He was on Mount Moriah. He called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. He said, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. It may also read, in the mount of Jehovah, he shall be seen, or he shall be provided. Now, I want you to hold that thought, because you're going to understand it better in just a minute. Now, let's take a closer look. The word Jireh is from a Hebrew word that appears many times throughout the Bible, and all it means is to see. It's just a verb, to see. Jireh is the verb to see. That's what it is. So you got Jehovah, see, to see. So Jireh has no particularly spiritual meaning until now. If it means to see, then why in this instance does it take on the meaning of to provide? He called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. For there God will provide. But he used the word to see. Now put on your thinking caps uh, with me and follow me carefully. One reason, no doubt, is that with God, to see is to foresee. Now we're going to learn something about our God tonight, all right? 
to see, when God sees something, he never, he's never surprised because guess what? In foresight, he's already seen anything he sees. If I know the end from the beginning, then nothing is new to me. Because by the time it arrives, I already saw it. So when it says he sees, we've got to understand it also means he foresees. Jehovah God knows the end from the beginning. From eternity to eternity, he foresees everything. Our God. We're not talking about some conceived mythical God that men have thought up in their minds and their fantasies. We're not talking about Zeus, Greek mythology, where their gods were human, very human, very much like you and me. We're talking about the genuine one and only Jehovah Almighty God who sees everything before it ever arrives. I mean, God right now sees the end of the world. We just haven't gotten there yet. The Bible says you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but you're sitting here right now. So why does it tell us you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Because that's where you're going to be, and God has already foreseen it, and as far as he's concerned, you're there. That's it. Now watch this. When he sees something, he always foresaw it first. God never says, well, I'll be. Well, I'll be. <laughs> Kathy and I had a hospital visitation tonight, and we went by and saw somebody pray for him in the hospital. When we were leaving, here, here on the parking lot of the hospital, in one of the rain gutters, is a raccoon sitting there chewing on a candy bar. And you know what I said? Well, I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we drove up to the little rascal, you know, kind of watched him. But now, if I had been God and I had seen him, I wouldn't have been moved when I saw him because I would have already seen him by foresight because I'm God. So I don't go, well, I'll be. I go, uh huh, knew it all the time. I knew it. Are y'all with me? So when you got saved, some of you thought when you got saved because you were so bad, that God just had a fit up in heaven and just said, oh, can you believe it, Jesus? Can you believe it, Gabriel? He, she is saved. No, God went, knew you were coming all the time. Knew you were coming all the time. That's what I tell people. I, I say this, salvation is this way. When you approach a door and on the, on the door, it says, whosoever will, let him come. So you walk up to the door and you say, Jesus, forgive me. Here I come. You turn the knob, you walk through and you shut it. And on the other side, it says, I knew you were coming all the time. And that's the way it works. God foresees. Now, one great example of, of, of Jesus Christ operating as the God who foresees all is in the story of his interaction with Nathaniel in John's gospel in the first chapter. On meeting him, Scripture records, quote, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. But he never met him. And so here's Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? 
Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In other words, before I ever met you, I met you. Before I ever met you, I saw you. See, when you and I got saved, we met him for the first time, but not he us. He knew you inside out before you ever came to him. Now that's either or you're dealing with God. Okay. Another word for seeing is vision from the Latin word video. We get video from the Latin. And the Latin word video means to see. Now watch this. So with God, foreseeing could also be called prevision. Prevision. Now, Jehovah, the God of righteousness and holiness and of love and redemption, having prevision of man's sin and fall and need for forgiveness and redemption, what did he do? He made provision based on his prevision. Now, I'm going to say that again because he deals in great things and in little minuscule things in our lives the same way. What he precedes, he provides for. So, having prevision of Adam and Eve falling, he provided for their redemption before they ever fell. Say, Pastor, this is a mind twister. I feel like my brain's a pretzel. It is a mind twister. Because we think in terms of finite. We think of in terms of beginning and ending. And, 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 and we live in now. But God doesn't live in now. God lives in eternity past and eternity future. God does not live in now. And so watch this. This is how Paul could write in Ephesians 1.4 that God chose us in Christ before. Can everybody say it with me before? the foundations of the world were laid. What is that telling us? That's telling us before he said, let there be light, let there be water, let there be birds, let there be mammals, let there be man. Before that happened, he pre-saw the fall, provided for our redemption, then backed up and made man. What does this mean to you and me? Well, it means that everything you need right now, he's already pre-seen it. Watch this. Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. When, everybody? Before. You ask him. So when you go to the Lord and you say, I don't know if you've seen this bill, God. I got this bill in the mail. And I'm just, I want to make you aware of this bill. This thing is due. Do you think that God goes, oh, Okay, thanks for letting me know. Because if you hadn't told me, I wouldn't have had a clue. Uh-uh. God saw the bill coming. God saw the male person who would bring it. God knew you would need it before you knew you were going to need it. What this is telling us is he's already got the provision. Jesus said he knows what you need before you inform him. And he's made provision based on prevision. Can you say with me, Jehovah Jireh? The Lord who sees and provides. So if we were to take that verse 
that says, my son, God, Abraham talking to Isaac, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And we change it to read, God will see to it. Or God will see for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. The meaning would be exactly the same. Isaac, God will see to it. Can I say to you, Bob, God will see to it. Kathy, God will see to it. Matthew, Angie, God will see to it. God will see to it. Ryan, Renee, God will see to it. God will see to it. He's already seen the need. And in his world, he's already provided the answer based on prevision. Hallelujah. Good stuff. I'm going to get this CD. Praise God. Now watch this. The use of the word Jireh cannot be too strongly emphasized as powerful. Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it or he shall be seen. That means God's provision shall be seen in the mount of the Lord. Now let's get down to what I think the greatest import of this whole chapter and verse is about. A few things more about this name. The name Jireh is a commemoration of a great deliverance. It was a constant reminder of the wonderful grace of the Jehovah who had wrought the deliverance. In Abraham's darkest hour of need, God's supplying grace broke through. I believe we ought to have, we ought to keep a diary or we ought to keep uh, uh, somehow the memories of God's greatest breakthroughs in our life and go back to them. When you need God to provide now, go back and look at what he did before so you can say to yourself, he did it then, he'll do it again. He did it then, he's going to do it now. He didn't leave me then, he won't leave me now. He broke through then, he's going to break through now. I believed him then, he provided. I'm believing him now, he'll provide. We ought to be able to go back. That's what he did when he named God Jehovah Jireh. But now also in the name Jireh was the expectation of something yet to come. Now watch carefully. Abraham said in the mount of the Lord, it what everybody? Shall. But wait a minute. He had just received the ram. So what's he talking about? In the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Either he had bad grammar or he's prophesying. Because in the mount of the Lord, if he was talking about just the then, the now, he would have said in the mount of the Lord, it was seen. But no, he said it shall be seen. With the use of shall, he added a future tense to the declaration of Jehovah Jireh. What in the world was that about? What he provided then, he would also provide in the future. It shall be seen, where everybody? In the mount of the Lord. Let's try it again. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. He gives a geographical spot and says, it, it, it shall be seen. Wait a minute. You've already got your provision. What are you talking about? Well, deliverance from death. That's what happened with Isaac. The oil of joy for the ashes of sorrow and mourning. Blessing for obedience. The, name, the naming of the place, the mount of the Lord, was meant to be predictive. One writer says, he can hardly have emerged from such a remarkable and solemn experience without feeling or realizing 
that it had far deeper significance than the test of his own faith only. He came away realizing this is bigger than me. This is bigger than now. Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. Not merely Jehovah does provide, but Jehovah will provide. Well, what then was the provision which Abraham saw with the eye of faith? What was the reality of which Isaac and the lamb were but types of? Mount Moriah, the place where Abraham declared that the provision of the Lord would be seen, later became the site of the temple and the center of Israel's worship. Solomon first built the house of the Lord right there where he said the mount of the Lord or the the here is where it shall be seen God's provision shall be seen in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen well all right here comes all this activity later Solomon builds the house there the house of the Lord scripture says then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah where Jehovah appeared to David his father there on Mount Moriah, the animal sacrifices for the sins of the people were instituted and offered the sin sacrifice. But the Bible tells us that Abraham looked not for an earthly city, but for one, quote, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Well, Solomon built the house of the Lord where the sacrifices were being made, so is this what he was talking about? Slaughtering of animals? Having to do it over and over again? To cover the sins of the people? A man-made house? And a sacrifice done with the hands of man? Uh-uh. Surely a temple made with hands and the offering of animal blood was not the fullness of what he had looked for and had seen by the eye of faith. It wasn't. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That very Mount Moriah became the site of Calvary. And the scene of that grand and final sacrifice of God's only begotten Son who was put under judgment for sin and became our substitute. Now, I want you to catch this. This is one of the things that makes me know that this is the Word of God. I want you to catch this now. This is really, really profound stuff. He says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, your only begotten son, your miracle child, and carry him to the top of the mount. And there I want you to sacrifice him. Can you do it, Abraham? Will you do it? I've often told you the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament was types and shadows and echoes of what was to come in the new covenant. Here is Abraham, and the son is on the altar, and he lifts up that knife, and he's willing to take his only begotten son in obedience to God. He is stopped, and God said, there is my man. Now, then he slips into prophetic mode. In the Old Testament, before there was any Bible, there was no Scripture. Genesis, the, the first five books, the Pentateuch, were written by Moses, likely in the wilderness. Centuries later, there was no Bible. There was no open revelation like you and I enjoy. 
There was only a man being dealt with by God with an incredible promise. And now here God says to him, sacrifice your only begotten son. And what happened there on that mount? Abraham slips into prophecy and says, in the mount of the Lord, this mountain right here, it shall be seen. shall you just got your provision man you've got the ram you've already offered him what do you mean he says something something profound is going to happen on this mount when it was the house of the lord was built and all those animals began to be sacrificed that was still an echo and a type and a shadow of what was coming it was not the real deal it was not the it that he was talking about when he said it shall be seen in this mountain god will provide but then one day Jesus Christ carried that cross up that same mountain. God's only begotten Son walked up that same mountain, was laid down on top of a cross, and this time the knife wasn't stopped. And it came down, and he was crucified. And the words of Abraham centuries before came speaking into that hour, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And he died for your sins and mine. And what did God do? Provided. What he had foreseen, he now made provision for. And in the mount of the Lord, the ultimate provision was seen. God's only begotten son he died for our sins. This is real, y'all. <sighs> Perhaps Abraham, under, un, Abraham understood better than we realized just what was intended by Jehovah in the distant future when he prophesied in the mount of the Lord, Jehovah's provision shall be seen. Abraham and Isaac, as father and only begotten son, are both types of Jehovah's full and glorious provision for man's sin and need. On Mount Moriah, Jehovah was teaching Abraham what he himself was prepared to provide. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Another verse, Paul writes, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Then John wrote, In this was manifested the love of, God, love of God toward us in that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. One can almost hear God saying, does it break your heart, Abraham? To give up, to slay, even by your own hand, as an innocent sacrifice, your own well-beloved Son? How's it feel, Abraham? Then think of the awful and the infinite cost to me of what I'm about to do for man. That's what he was doing. The thing that Abraham foreshadowed on Mount Moriah was accomplished when God's Son upon the cross cried, It is finished. God will provide himself a lamb. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. It shall be provided. The ultimate sacrifice and atonement 
In the mount of the Lord, he was seen and he was provided. Even Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God and the Savior of the world. And you know what, everybody? Whatever your need is right now, if God would give his own son, what won't he give you? Jehovah Jireh has pre-seen whatever you need, and he's made provision for even before you ask. Can we stand together? Next week, I'm going to talk about Jehovah Rophi. Jehovah heals. But right now, how many of you are thankful for the provision on the mount of the Lord? Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. Praise God. It's things like that. I look at that Bible and I go, oh, the Word of God. The Word of God. Thank God for Jehovah Jireh. Thank God for the revelation Abraham had. Thank God that centuries later, the ultimate sacrifice was provided. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided for your people, for the entire world, forgiveness if we repent and turn to you. And on the mount of the Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you were seen walking up that hill, carrying that cross, bleeding profusely, abused by man, sacrificed by God so that we could be forgiven tonight. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord and thank Him for that sacrifice? Lord, we worship You. We praise You. We bless You. We thank You in the mount of the Lord it was seen. In the mount of the Lord it was seen. Thank You, Lord, it was seen. We bless Your name, Lord. What can we say? Your Word is so true, so real, so profound, so accurate. Lord, we thank You that even before You made the foundations of the world, you took care of our need. And we bless you, Lord, and we have the faith that if you wouldn't even withhold your only son, then we know it's your good pleasure to give to us the kingdom and everything in it. So, Lord, we cast onto you every need we've got, emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, marital, everything. We cast it onto you. The great Jehovah Jireh, and we thank you, Lord God, that you already see what we need and the provision is there and we lay hold of it by faith. And we thank you, Lord God, it shall be seen. It shall be seen. It shall be seen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Steve, can you lead us just to sing that name? Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Jesus.